I'm Liv. I'm Dave. Today we are talking about one thing I am very proficient in. That's a lie. I know nothing about this. We're talking about running. We have a guest. Today we're pleased to have my best friend and former roommate, former teammate, the one, the only, GJ. Wow. He is also one of my best men. How do you know each other? I didn't know I was getting a second roommate uh, my second year of Alabama. Mike and I thought we had organized it to where he and I were just going to room in a suite where there was just two rooms. We got the four-room suite, and then this guy just randomly shows up in it. And like, as soon as I start moving in, Mike comes up to me and goes, yeah, I know this isn't what we asked for, but uh, he seems like a cool guy. I think we should give him a shot. We'll see what goes. And I was like, okay, all right, whatever. Um, I, I had no idea what to expect. What I do know is he told me that he saw my Casino Royale poster and immediately thought, oh, we're going to get along. And what I thought is I saw my Casino Royale poster and I looked at him and I thought, he kind of looks like Daniel Craig, actually. So (laughs) (laughs) to this day, it's like one of the best compliments I've ever received. And it was from my my male college roommate. (laughs) So that's how we first met, and it kind of just steamrolled from there. We just ended up finding a lot of things we both related to, and we started getting each other into like our own things that we like and whatnot. Like he he attributes his love for film, the way he looks at film anyway, today to me. I actually attribute a lot of uh, my love for you know knowledge about the human body and whatnot to him because he was just ahead of me in that aspect. I was ahead of him in the film aspect, and it all just kind of meshed together. And that's that. I mean, do you want to take over? And what was your perspective on that one? It's exactly like he says it was. I walked into his room to apprehensively greet these new roommates of mine. And I see all these cool posters on the wall, including the Casino Royale poster. And I feel like, was there a Boondock Saints poster? There was a Boondock Saints poster. Yes. Yes. It was. Anyway, I saw he had a lot of cool movie posters on the wall, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> and come to find out, you know, that wasn't the only thing that we had in common. Obviously, we both knew that we were on the cross-country and track teams together. On top of that, we both had an immense and deep love for the same types of music, not the least yeah. of which was Linkin Park. Which could be a, a podcast on its own right there, quite frankly, but, but exactly. we, we need to rein ourselves in. <laughs> So we had a mutual love with Lincoln Park and Berlin, all these other things that served as sort of a, a cornerstone to develop off of. And we got close based on those things. That was my freshman year, his sophomore year. So after that year, he had to leave college. He ended up going to film school in Tennessee. And we maintained our friendship and continued to have these common passions and continue to exploit those things so we went to concerts we would visit each other very frequently i feel like it was at least like once a month it's weird very few friendships i feel like stick at that age with your fiance you know we were only really living together for a year before i had to part of the reason was that i and this will factor i guess later into the conversation was my injury they took away my scholarship because of that injury and i largely just couldn't come back And another part of it was that my family went into financial turmoil and someone had to keep the lights on. So it was, I've always been struck by how like close our relationship has been despite just that one year, that one year. And that's, that, that did it, you know, and we've, we've kept in touch 
very closely since then. Uh, no matter where we are, we're always talking. In fact, of all the friends I have, as far as distance goes, doesn't affect us in the least in terms of staying in contact with each other. That's super cool. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting to think about, like, it was only that year. It, and it, doesn't, it feels like, it really feels like we've known each other, even by, by the end of that year. It felt like we had known each other way longer. I mean, when I first met you, mm-hmm. I didn't, I thought y'all had been, like, longtime friends. Like, pre-college. Uh, he had told me y'all met in college, but the way that you guys interacted, it was almost as if you'd known each other from, like, birth. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a reason, you know, I call him you know, my brother, we're, we're just that close. Like, mm-hmm. it's just some things that are way thicker than blood. I mean, you're you're not off. I sometimes trick myself into thinking I've known him longer than college. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Uh, you know, you, sometimes I have to, like, redo the math on the timeline and be like, wait, nope, nope, I met him <laughs> this year, not 10 years before. And so it was, it's, it's weird. I literally had to do the math just now while we were talking about, like, how'd you two meet? How long have we known each other? What year was that? Uh, 2007. Yeah. So. Oh, dear. We've been. That's 13 years. (laughs) Yes. One year less than you and Mary. That's how I always know it. This is a true statement. I know you're looking at me that way, but yeah, this is a true statement. So, yeah, I mean, that went far more into more detail than than i expected it to but that's that that's us that's how we came to know each other that's how close we are so running dave how did you get into it so for me running was a happy accident i can only (laughs) correlate that with a happy accident you're running away from like a big bear or something and so explain happy happy accident i was i was thinking like bob ross (laughs) oh it's just a a little happy accident He do what he wants with it. So I had no intention on ever becoming a runner. When I was younger, my my dreams and ambitions pointed more towards playing tennis. I was a big tennis player. I loved tennis. And in middle school, and in middle school, they had a sign up sheet for cross country. And with that sign up, you would get a free T-shirt. I did not bring my gym clothes to change out of that day. <laughs> and they only ever really notice that you don't change out if you have the same t-shirt on before and after. So I signed up so I could get a t-shirt so I wouldn't get in trouble that day for not changing out for gym class. Next thing I know, hey, first practice is at such and such a date. I figured why not just go ahead and go since I got a t-shirt for it. Might as well give it a shot. First practice, I hated it. <laughs> at the time, I was, I was working at summer camps pretty much every summer in Mentone, Alabama. I came back from that summer camp. Something happened when I was at the camp. When I came back, it was like a completely different experience for me. And it's not like I went to go train at altitude or anything like that. (laughs) But I came back and all of a sudden it was like a complete shift in how I felt about running and how I experienced running. The guys on the team, they had this running joke where I went to Kenyan camp for two weeks and came back. It's Alabama. You did. (laughs) And so when I came back, I started really getting into it. And the thing that I initially liked a lot about running was that it was a big escape for me. I was always looking for something to escape the angst of my youth. Running was how I kind of coped with that. Because, you know, growing up, I didn't really know how to express myself very well. And running was a way for me to kind of 
cope with that initially. And so that was my initial relationship with running. That grew and developed over the next 10 years or so. I went through high school. I was pretty good. I was top, you know, I got top 20 in the state. I went to go run D1 with DJ here. After that, kind of got a little burnt out and I basically stepped away from the sport for a while. I was the most mentally unhealthy during that time that I took time off from running. And I've come to realize that the reason for that is running had become a way for me to communicate with myself and talk to myself and be spiritual. Mm -hmm. It was a combination of all those things. And without having that relationship with myself, without having that relationship with God, I was suffering Mm -hmm. in a big, bad way. And so that's what brought me back into it. I wanted to restart that relationship. That's the relationship that I have to this day is running is how I communicate with myself. It's how I communicate with God. It's how I stay mentally healthy. <laughs> and I love it. I, I deeply, deeply love this sport. I love everything about it. I firmly believe if you are truly passionate about something, the way that you best express that is to become a student of it and never stop being a student of it. GJ alluded to this earlier. Part of that was me studying and learning more about the human body and anatomy and physiology, kinesiology, all these things. I'm the son of an engineer. I like knowing how things work. It gives me countless opportunities to never stop learning. And that's what I love about running and how I got started with it. My experience in terms of how I got into it was, I I feel like seven times out of 10, this is what you're learning here. I want to hang out with my friends. Everyone was signing up for it. I signed up for it to hang out with them. Uh, Now, we had a cross-country team. You could join a cross-country team uh, at a fourth grade level at my school. And I did. And just for the reason of hanging out with them. And that was enough at the time. You know, I I went out. I went on long runs with them. When we competed, I wasn't too serious about it. I was a fourth grader, you know. It wasn't huge. It wasn't until about sixth or seventh grade that I started taking it a little more seriously. I was getting a little tired of my friend always winning these miles. And I was getting, I I, I wanted, I had a resurgence of taking this seriously, of wanting to become more. And this is funny. One of the top reasons I I decided to train harder and take it more seriously was uh, from another mutual thing that Dave and I love, Dragon Ball Z. Okay. Now we were in the dead center. (laughs) Hold on. We were in the dead center of, of the Frieza story arc where he becomes Super Saiyan for the first time and whatnot. I found it so inspiring that, you know, there's a character that simply worked to get to become something more. It, It was, it was all you know, he was nothing, and then he worked to become something legendary. I thought to myself, you know, maybe if I just put in the freaking work, something will come out of me. And so I trained way harder than my friend uh, in middle school, far harder than he did. Uh, I took advantage of like a week off where he was was sick. I was like, haha, he's sick. I'm gonna put in more mileage and all this stuff. And uh, so we we get to our first meet, and I don't remember my elementary meets, the fourth grade, fifth grade stuff. But I do remember this particular one. We get to our first meet. We get into the mile. Someone from another school gets first place. Okay. He gets second place. I get third place. I was livid. I was so fierce. I didn't let him know that, but I was so furious because I had put in all that work and all that time and all that effort in. My coach comes up to me and says, hey, this one guy dropped out of the four by four immediately after the mile. Can you run the leg for it? I wasn't even thinking 
when I said, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do it. I'm the last leg. They, get, they made me the last leg just because they wanted to give me the most rest. I mean, we went right into the 4x4. As a 6th grader, I ran a 60-second 400 split after the mile. That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> no. As, as a 7th grader, that's quick. That's, that's fairly quick. Uh, my coach came up to me after the fact and said, you're not running the mile anymore. You're doing the 400. And somehow that also bled into the 800 half mile. And those were the two races that I would be doing. And I kept improving in those races. By the end of my seventh grade year, I had a 53-second 400 and a 208 800. Again. Unbelievably quick. For, for a seventh grade kid, yeah, that's, that's moving. After that, I started doing summer track with my coach, Gary Kinder, who was a former uh, Olympian. Uh, and he trained me all through high school. I held records at various meets. My high school time ended up being at 152 eventually. I was the fifth fastest youth athlete in the 800 meter in 2005, something I will still hang my hat on. You know, Coach Walker at Alabama call, comes knocking on my door, and I was like, yes, because I, I went to visit Alabama, and I, I loved it. I, I thought it, looked, it was beautiful. The campus was gorgeous. It had everything I wanted, and it wasn't the University of Tennessee. So it was it was an easy yes for me. Then I met Dave, and here we are. <laughs> cool. My next question is kind of stupid, so um, I wanted to insert this because it's one question I've always had for professional runners. Okay. Do the shoes actually make you go faster? <laughs> Especially when they have little lights on them. Well, the, the, if they have lights on them, then that just shows you that you're going faster. Okay, you know, cool. that, that, that's, I, just, that's, I, needed, um, I needed proof that that was reality. <laughs> <laughs> I would think... Now, hold, there, there's kind of a broader answer in this, like our last couple of questions. It's not that the shoe makes you faster. It's that whatever shoe works for you best will improve your your mechanics and your running ability, et cetera, et cetera. Making you faster, you know, you're not... There's no, there's no magical pair of shoes that's going to do that. What there is, is the shoe that fits you. Your, your arch, your heel, your comfort, et cetera, et cetera, for whatever distance you're running. For Dave, Dave, what shoe do you typically prefer when you're on your long distance runs? The DS trainers. Okay, see, there you go. Uh, I'm currently wearing my Brooks right now, which are uh, the... I'll just switch these, so I don't even know. The Adrenalines. The Adrenaline 19s. And I switched off from the Nike structures recently. And the reason I wear those is because I have major calf issues, and those have both a lot of support and are very cushiony. Now, if we were sprinters, <laughs> these would be much thinner shoes. <laughs> much lighter. Much lighter. Not much of a heel on them. Because we wouldn't be spending a whole lot of distance on those shoes. We'd be we mainly just be going a few like 100 meters every now and then, just working on our speed. And for speed, we need to be lighter. So bouncier, bouncier, right? So does the shoe make you faster? the The short answer, no. Does the shoe help you depending on what you're running? Yes. I think the shoe <laughs> is a, a tool that enables you to continue to progress, but it's not like the answer mm -hmm. so sprinters would not be wearing the shoes that he and i are wearing no. <laughs> they, they would not that would not be their choice shoe if they wanted to go fast that would that would hurt them i just really like how my joke question turned into a real answer <laughs> i'm proud of myself for that because i was thinking as i was writing these questions like oh i remember my brothers being like 
really young trying a pair of shoes on and the first thing you do is like run <laughs> i was like i need to ask a question about shoes they make shoes for different kinds of things like foot strikes arches all these different things that are more tailored to you and your running form but at the end of the day it's the shoe that makes your economy the best and allows you to stay injury free makes life easier makes life easier yeah. and the longer really for me the shoe that keeps me injury free the longest is the one that is a win for me where my training is geared more towards the longer distances where I'm running 9 to 15 miles a day, I'm looking for a shoe that can help me withstand that. Well, that's a good segue to my next question. What is the longest distance you've run in one, one go? I don't want to say one sitting because that's kind of counteractive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to answer first because our uh, the discrepancy between us is embarrassing for me. But I'm also a mid-distance runner, so the longest I've gone is 15. Longest Dave has probably gone is 25. <laughs> You're close. Thousand. <laughs> <laughs> the longest I've ever gone is 23. Okay. Um, what is the fastest mile you've ever run? No, this is where he. See, I knew know. that. That's why I asked. The I don't know that. I really don't. I do. Okay, mine's 419. Yep. Okay. What's what's yours? Four thirty six. Okay, but now hold on. H- have you recently no run a mile? Okay, absolutely See, not. I think I think that result would be different today. If I trained towards that, maybe. No, no, no. no. See, listen, you you've put on enough mileage. I think you might, and you've done. I've seen your speed work. I think the result would definitely not be anywhere close to a four thirty six. I don't feel like I have the kind of sustained speed to handle a four thirty six. I feel like I have the volume that would allow me to train towards a, a you know a sub four thirty, but I don't feel like if I you can went, go out there right now. No, uh, if if you went out there right now, you would go sub four thirty. Well, thank you. You, you <laughs> would go sub four thirty. I'll I'll give you this. It may not be a sub four twenty. God, that's the worst number for this. It may not be a sub four nineteen, but uh, it would be a PR for you. By far, easily. It'd be interesting to see, like, you know, we, we, we talk about doing an old man's 4x4. Four four. I really still want to do that. I still want to do I, that, I, I do want to do that. Like, I kind of want to go back and just, like, you know, train for a few months and see what I can get my mile time to, down to. Because I'm not a fan of having a 436 PR. <laughs> well, I don't think, and I don't think, if you're not a fan of it, then I think you, we should get you out there and do one. But it's going to take, you certainly have the mileage for it. I'm not worried about the endurance for it. It would just take a little more lactic workouts is all. And you do a lot of those very well anyway that I think would be a pretty – I'm not going to say it would be easy. Lactic workouts are the worst. But it would be – you would have an easier time segging into that than most people would, especially at your age. For those yeah. of us who don't know what PR means, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Because you know what it is, but for everyone else who doesn't, right? Let's say that, yeah. <laughs> uh, personal record. Gotcha. Personal record. Or Some people call it PB. PB, personal, but I just think of peanut butter when yeah. people say okay. that. So. I, I'm waiting for the J to drop on PB. Yeah, I don't. What's your PB? I'm like. Crunchy? Yeah. <laughs> Creamy? Gluten-free? Uh. <laughs> Almond? Almond. <laughs> so, yeah. So, 419, 436 for now. For now. For now. 
I will not I, be able to get under 419 again. My my days of doing the mile are over. So. Okay. <laughs> G, GJ here can still turn around a very, very, no. very quick 800. No, I, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that. You still sure. had gas in the tank last time we did eights. And those were not slow. I was doing that. Well, no, never mind. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to get into it. This will quickly devolve into an argument if I continue. <laughs> so what classifies someone as a good distance runner? Because <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know how to classify someone as a good dancer versus like an amateur dancer. But how would you classify someone as like a good speed or a good distance runner? They go 100 miles. No, I don't know. No, it's 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 absolutely not volume based. This is this is a philosophical question, I think. Uh Like it's like no, it is it is like is because really, if you're if you're just getting out there and running, I feel like that makes you a runner. Like you. I don't feel like there's a qualification for what makes a runner and what doesn't make a runner. I will say, I think I know where you're going with this question. I notice things that in a more efficient distance runners than somebody that I can tell is not as efficient of a distance runner. Like their form might be off, like their shoes, things like that. Well, I think... The basis of my question is because it is the year of it is an Olympic year. What classifies someone to an Olympic level versus someone who's just running for exercise? That's where my question kind of okay. Sits. Okay, it's like again, I know the difference between a professional and an amateur dancer. I could sit here and exp- explain to you the like philosophical to physical differences. What would that look like as a runner? Times. Times. And, and and I hate I hate breaking it down to just that, but it's times. Okay. Mo Farah resources resources, but Mo Farah is a great distance runner. Yes, he is a great distance runner. He's been in the Olympics multiple times. He's run uh, you know high profile meets. He's set massive records. He's a great distance runner. And the thing I hate about just saying oh just times is it really feels like it takes out the kind of what you don't see happen yeah. uh, before the race. The reason Dave is beating around the bush with that answer is because it dwindles our entire sport down to just these quantifiable numbers, right? When there's so much more going on behind that. Okay. You know, you're a dancer. I go and watch someone dance. I'm not seeing all the hard work and whatnot that goes into all the choreography, where to go, mm-hmm. how, what needs to be done to get flexible enough for that and right. everything. I, I don't understand it, but I would assume it's there merely by what I'm seeing happen. With running, it's very easy to say, well, all they're doing is running, you know, right. to get that time. But again, what you don't see are the resources. What you don't see are the days where they improve their running form. What you don't see are the, you know, the speed days versus the distance days. The drills, the nutrition. The drills, the nutrition, the the injuries, the water workouts, the, you know, and, and it's so... Man, it just ticks me off so much to see these amazing athletes get these awesome times in the Olympics, but their 10K is often cut in pieces by commercial breaks. And once it's done, 
Joe Schmo will look at it and be, and this is very elitist of me. I know you don't know a whole lot about running either, but you're here talking about it with yeah. us. Joe Schmo is going to look up at the TV in the bar and say, oh, well, that guy must be fast. He won. And that's that. No one really gets the amount of push these athletes go through to get that number. Mm-hmm. So what makes a great runner? Well, on paper, it's time. And it's, and it's the profile of the meets. Off the paper, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just very disheartening to me just to bring it down to that. But it's also the world we live in. It's harsh. It's harsh. It's a very quantifiable sport. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard. There are professionals out there that have, you know, less than great form <laughs> that are still crazy fast. Form isn't everything. Gotcha. Though they would be faster if they fixed it. At the end of the day, like GJ said, it's it really just boils down to times. It's very cutthroat in that way when it comes to the professional level. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Which is the same answer for speed as well. Right. You know, I think for speed, form and mechanics is more important mm-hmm. because all it takes sometimes for the 100 meter, especially, is one wrong cross across your chest can throw your entire race off. I mean, the 100 and the 200 are not very long races. The professionals, they're out there for 10 sub 10 (laughs) seconds. You got to make every, not second count, but every quarter of a second count, practically. Okay. Blocks would come in, comes into that as well. Using blocks correctly comes into that as well. If you get out wrong, you're done. You've messed up. There's no do-overs and your whole race is thrown off. Interesting. Stuff I did not know. I'm intrigued. The more you know. You had mentioned, Dave, that tennis was a sport that you were originally interested in. Were there any other sports, GJ, that you were interested in outside of running that you either pursued or wanted to pursue? To be fair, I played soccer longer throughout school than I did any running. Well, no, I had to give up soccer, so that's not true. You also played football. I did play football as well. Okay. I did play football as well. Uh, soccer and football. I liked soccer more because I felt it was more fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's why I like to watch soccer. Yeah, it, it was faster-paced. It was – I got to run <laughs> more. It was just – it was kind of brutal too. You know, you didn't have a body armor protecting you. Right. You you slam into someone's head. You're, you're just going to slam into someone's head. That's that. Uh, I remember – some really fun soccer games where I'm just like, you know, bleeding <laughs> down my face while it's pouring rain and getting all over my uniform, et cetera, et cetera. Those were fun times. And I missed those times. But what it came down to when I gave up football and soccer was what do I enjoy more? Right. And what do I think I have a better shot at in the future? Meaning college and whatnot. It was running. It was running. I mean, by by the time I had given it up, given up uh, football and soccer, I had already been to multiple USATF and AAU Junior Olympics. I had been to USATF Youth Nationals, which is a little different than the JO series. You know, the writing was on the wall. You know, we talk about what makes a great runner. I don't think I was ever a great runner, but when we try to quantify that and we look at the high-profile meets I was in, and how fast I was going, it just made more sense. Plus, you know, I, I just, and I, I say this all the time, and I've got to get into this podcast, I like the wind in my hair. It, it's when you're running, when you're out there on a long run, when you're running on the track, 
and it's just blowing through your hair and you're just you know at peace with the world it's 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 cathartic yeah man it, it's so like you're it's it's you there's no ball to pass to you know and, and a lot of people that drives some people nuts it was it, you know it all falls on your shoulders for me i had full control it's freeing it's freeing yeah yeah so yes definitely soccer and football were my other sports and goodbye soccer and football cool <clears throat> i also had big dreams of shredding it hard on my skateboard <laughs> yes i was a a wannabe skater boy you know i loved brink growing up i think it's hilarious that you wanted to be a skater boy and i do ballet he do was you- a punk she did ballet what more can i say uh, <laughs> <laughs> i just take ballet classes i'm not a ballerina a, oh okay okay well there you go yeah but yeah, I had, I had big dreams for that. I thought it'd be cool to actually shred with the big guys. Your Chad Muskas, your Tony Hawks. <laughs> your Rod, your, your Rodney Mullins. How did that go? I got to a point where it became a sobering reality that I was never going to be sponsored by Shorties or Toy Machine. Oh, okay. Ask to the X Games or... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. It was just heartbreaking, really. Anyway. So what does cross training look like for runners? And is there any quote unquote non-traditional cross training things that you guys do or could do? For example, football players take ballet class. What do what can runners do cross training, either traditional or non-traditional, to better their craft? So I think there's a bunch of subsets of cross training in terms of their purpose, and they all accomplish different things. One of the big things that I've tried to focus on as I've gotten older, because I've become more susceptible to it, are injuries. So one form of cross training that I'm currently doing is what you might call like prehab. And for that, it's basically getting your joints and bones used to the load and the impact before you actually go out and do it live. And for me, what that looks like is more biking. It involves weight training, mm-hmm. you know, having that, actually getting in there and, you know, doing squats, doing lifts, things that when I was in high school and even college and post-collegiate, I didn't really do a whole lot of. And at a certain point, my body said, this isn't going to fly anymore. You've got to start doing all this other stuff to stay healthy. So now I'm in the gym three days a week doing upper body and lower body to try to keep myself healthy enough to continue training and to continue bringing my mileage up and to get also get faster, which is another form of cross training that you can do. So there's high rep type things that you can do that are better for injury prevention because there's a low chance of injury. And then there's low rep type stuff like actually heavy squats, actually heavy raises and things like that. You could even consider high intensity interval training, Tabata type stuff that is better for economy and speed. So spinning bike, jumping on there and doing intervals for 30, 40 minutes, things like that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think what Dave's really driving at is that it gets to a point with with running, track, cross country. Cross training is just part of it. We don't even really refer to it as cross training anymore because it's just it's just part of the life of a runner. Swimming, I, I have plenty of athletes I coach that do a lot of swimming. Uh, weight training is a must 
we just we have to take weight training seriously and and target everything in the back you know everyone wants to you know work on the front because that's what looks good but it's the back the glutes the hamstrings the posterior chain yeah that that really you know fire up the power Mm -hmm. aspect of the body so we can you know you can drive your knee forward and whatnot although that being said i think the quad factors that into that a lot more than some weight trainers like to like to preach but uh, and, and biking, of course, I think are all very essential to distance runners, especially, but even, you know, with sprinters, I would have them in a pool, you know, doing water runs and stuff like that to help enhance that power. So what kind of cross training is there? Not, it's not really from one sport to another. It's more that everything gets involved in, in terms of endurance, biking, swimming, weight training, and their, their necessities. It's not like football players will do ballet. Well, they don't have to do ballet. Right. They do. Right. They do to hone their craft. Like they, like you said, here, I think it's a necessity. Yeah. I, I think it's a necessity. And it's just part of a runner's routine and training program to do this stuff. To become a more efficient machine, you have to do those things. Okay. Otherwise, the machine breaks down. It's almost like bare minimum, you have to do those things if you want to keep to keep the machine running. Okay, that's cool. You you can get away with it as a middle schooler and a little bit well, as a high schooler. Well, but when your body can yeah, like yeah. bounce back. <laughs> like I said, at a certain at a certain age, my body kind of gave up on that, and then I had to start taking cross training, injury prevention, weightlifting, all those mm-hmm. things a lot more seriously. That being said, I think more like upper high schoolers should be doing that. If they're taking running seriously. Right. Uh, I, I, wish I, I wish I did. I, I do too. And I wish someone, you know, pulled me aside and said, do this and explain to me why. I think I would be in much better condition today, health-wise. I, I also understand there's only so many hours in the day. And when you're a kid, social life is just the pinnacle of existence. So we work with what we have, right? Right. <laughs> I still have more questions. Do it. I wrote all these because I was like, I know nothing about running, but I know enough of like what you tell me and what you teach me, Dave. But at the same time, it's still like, for me, dancing is so easy to understand because it's like you take class, you prepare, you're on stage. Running, there's so much more I feel that goes, but like this just because I don't know the sport. Like we could make a list. There's a lot more that goes into dancing than just take class, prepare, but whatever. So I have a lot of questions. What do you like to do when you run? Do you listen to music? I know, Dave, you said you like to, you explained what you like to do, but is there an in-depth kind of that you'd like to explain? Or like, what do you do when you run? What do you do when you run? A lot of it depends on the day. You know, sometimes there are those days where you're just going out for an easy run. And those are the days where you really just kind of get lost in yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're able to do, for me, that sort of self-reflection. And then there are the days where you're going to work. Gotcha. Like if you're doing a workout, for me, a common workout is like four by two mile. How you break that up in your mind to kind of make sure that your your body is going to cooperate with that, I guess. This is a good question. Thank you. This is a good question. Thank you. It really depends on the day. Some days you... you like I said, you get lost in your own thoughts and are more meditative. Other days, the days you go to work, sometimes I'm focusing more on time. Sometimes I'm focusing more on pace. Sometimes I'm focusing more on reps. I'm halfway done with being halfway done. Thinking of things in different ways to make it seem like I'm closer to the end than I really am. So you're not listening so, to music? 
No, I do not. Li- I do not listen to music when I run. The only exception is if I am on the treadmill. Gotcha. In that case, I will occasionally listen to music, but it has to be a special kind of crappy day for me to be on a treadmill. Gotcha. Well, that's cool because the very few and far between times that I run, I have to listen to music or I just stand on the treadmill and just fall backwards and fall off because I don't like to run. So here's the thing for me with music. It's something that I had just gotten used to because in racing, you're not allowed to listen to music. Mm -hmm. So it never made sense to me to actually train with music because I didn't want to have that as a crutch. Okay. Essentially. Also, when I'm listening to music, it becomes a lot harder for me to focus. And also, I don't like carrying a phone with me when I run and I run outside. I'm just thinking about all of the athletes I've coached that go out with like music and phones in their ears and Spotify and whatnot and how we didn't have that in time. I'm just thinking, you spoiled brat. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like when we were coming out, we didn't have the kind of portable music technology. (laughs) No, we didn't. And I've kind of succumbed to that to an extent. If I go out on long, easy runs, I'll probably put some headphones in and listen to music because it's it's an easy run. It's going to be slow. Time doesn't really matter or even factor into it. Might as well blow some time listening to some music. If it's a tempo run, maybe, but here's the thing. I only listen to one song and it has to be a certain BPM. Okay. <laughs> so I keep like... I maintain my whole... You use it as a, like a cadence? Yeah. Like a, yeah. Me- a metronome, if you I will? I do. I do. Uh, I was about to say, I don't understand cadence, but I understand metronome. There you go. Yeah. No, uh, uh, feel good drag. I used that for a three mile tempo one time. It was a quick tempo, but <laughs> it worked. Okay. Now, if, if I'm on the track though, no. Okay. Zero. Nada. Not at all. Uh, track workouts are too fast too quick they're gonna fall out of my ears anyway mm-hmm. i'm very focused on how my body moves and reacts at that speed uh, it kind of like what dave said he's he's listening to his body essentially when he goes out on long runs to check if something's off if if something feels rigid if he needs to switch his form over something like that same thing i'm just going shorter distances much quicker okay I have to be, because my, my legs are turning over so quickly, I have to be on the whole way. And sometimes, like, it it could just be 200 meters with half a track of distance. But if I feel something off, I got to be quick to switching my, my form a little bit or my foot strike or something of that matter, which is more important for me these days because my calves are just in such horrible, horrible shape. So good listen. question. Yeah, it is a good question. Listening to the body, I think, is, like, the, the big answer. Absolutely. And I feel like listening to music kind of prevents you from, or it's it's a barrier to being able to listen to your body. For some people it is. For, I, and I, I understand where you're coming from. For, I, for me at least. Yeah, that's I how understand it where you're me. coming from. Again, you're more of a distance runner than I am. Sometimes I just need that distraction to get through it. But like I said, when sometimes I'll just put on a single song and, you know, never want to listen to it for another, you know, three months. But it gets me through a solid tempo. That's fair. Nice. So um, are there any inspirational people or events that you've watched that's kind of further your passion for running? I mean, are you really a runner if you weren't first inspired by Steve Prefontaine? Yeah, that, that's the main thing is we're both going to say Steve Prefontaine, even though we weren't alive when he was. For those of you who don't know, Steve Prefontaine 
was a runner back in the 60s and 70s. He ran for the University of Oregon under coach Bill Bowerman, who is co-founder of Nike. Nike. Yep. And was one of Nike's first athletes. He ran in the 1972 Olympics in Munich, where the Munich Massacre was. And he was also slated to run in the Montreal Olympics four years later. But tragically, he died in a car crash. But he was sort of the first rock star runner of his time. There have been a lot of inspirational people, but his is probably the most talked about and adapted ingrained in popular culture, I would say. There's plenty of runners before him that were super inspiring. I think of, of course, Roger Bannister, first person to break the four-minute mile, mm-hmm. Emil Zatopek, Billy Mills. Tons of other runners had kind of kept the the running world exciting. During that time, I feel like he was the one that kind of made it more mainstream. He was the cool runner that made it very popular back in the day. I still remember the first time I saw the one of the film adaptations of his life, which was Without Limits. I saw Without mm-hmm. Limits first. One of our favorite movies. Yes. Yeah. It was truly an inspiring movie to watch at the time. You saw all these incredibly fast times, and you saw his work ethic and his grit through the, the work, the archival footage, all of these different things. You just wanted to be that. And you wanted to embody all that he kind of represented at that time and bring that into your own running career or whatever. That's kind of the first big one that started it all for me. And for me, it started with Steve Prefontaine. And I was like, oh, there's got to be other ones out there. And then I found out about Billy Mills. And I found out about uh, Emil Zatopek. Roger Bannister I knew about before that, but only from like a history lesson. Because his breaking the four-minute mile, it was a monumental historic milestone. Ha. Um... (laughs) Yeah, and, and even during the Prefontaine era, you had Shorter, who Shorter, is underrated. Yep. He kind of gets lost in Prefontaine's shadow, but he was actually a great runner. He was Florida a great guy. runner. Florida guy. Yeah. And for me, I was also highly inspired because I, I watched this on TV uh, when Michael Johnson broke the 400 record in 1996 in Atlanta at the Olympics. Huge, huge. And he held it for almost 20 years, I believe. I I also remember watching his protege, Jeremy Warner, also win the gold medal in the 400 meter Olympics. And I was primarily, you understand, my early high school career, I was primarily a 400 runner before an 800 runner. So I was all about the 400 runner. In fact, I still love the 400 more than any other race. But unfortunately, I was better at the 800. And I say unfortunately because the 800 is so difficult, but... <laughs> it is the hardest race. It and the 400-meter hurdles are probably tied as the two hardest races, generally considered the hardest races in track and field, which, you know, sucks to be me, but uh, it was it's what I was good at. Watching the 400 runners uh, at professional level do what they did was so exciting. And recently, my gosh, well, it's not that recent. It was a few years ago. Michael Johnson's 400-meter record was broken, making people think, okay... Sub 43 is possible in this race. And now the hunt, the, the hunt is on for the man who's going to go sub 43, which is exciting. So yeah, I, I agree with all of the names Dave laid down. Those are some others that I really, that really inspired me. Lately though, Allison Felix has been my favorite athlete in the world. She's wonderful. I love her. 
she recently had a child, actually, but she's still going into the Olympic trials. Very cool. And is just a workhorse like no other. I, I She's one of the most inspiring runners I've ever watched. Everything she stands for and talks about, I, I adore. And she's really someone to look up to. I love that she is who she is, and she's as powerful as she is. She's a 400 runner as well, because I have a, a backlog, kind of a history of coaching excellent female athletes, and I'm very proud of them. Very, very proud of them. So to see that, you know, the Allison Felixes out there and try to like push them in that direction too is something that I, I take a lot of pride in. Every time I coach, I'm like, hey, in my eyes, you're like her. Yeah. Now we're kind of getting into that my own athletes sort of inspire me as well. I mean, th- we weren't going to get through this podcast without me mentioning Jackie Addy, who runs for Florida now. I'll be honest, she, she inspires me. Watching her, when she puts a race together, I mean, I'm one of her biggest fans. I can't say the biggest fan because her mom would fight me, but I'm right there with her. And and when she really puts a race together, it's it's art. Cool. I mean, he, Dave can he's seen it. So so yeah, those are those are definitely names that I think really keep me involved and excited about the running world, past and present. From a present standpoint, you you mentioned Allison Felix. For me, it's Shalane Flanagan. Even though Flanagan, she, Shalane Flanagan was a big one for me. Even though she's recently retired, but I have tremendous respect for her. I have tremendous respect for her. And yeah. I love her. Yeah, she's she's another one to the female athletes these days tend to be a lot more inspiring than the male yes, athletes. I hands down. <laughs> Shalane Flanagan, Sarah Hall, mm. Emily Enfield. Yeah, but Flanagan was a huge one. And when she retired, I wanted to retire as well. I I, I just kind of curled up. I had in a ball. I had mixed emotions. I was sad that I would not get to witness art like that. Yeah. At the same time, I know how much you know how straining this can be on the body. And when it's time to retire, it's time to retire. One thing I also wanted to mention, speaking of powerful female athletes, I think we'd be remiss in not mentioning Catherine Switzer, who paved the way for female distance runners when she ran in the... it It was Boston. There were men out on the course that tried to literally tear her off the course. Nope. What can happen? Because <laughs> women weren't allowed to run the marathon at the time. Like GJ said, some of the most inspiring runners that we have today, I see are the female runners that we have out there right now. Oh, yeah. To me, watching them train, watching them race, following their careers is a lot more interesting to me. There are runners that I still keep up with on the men's side of things, both retired and not. Mm-hmm. I will follow Ryan Hall forever and always. I've been a big Ryan Hall fanboy for a long time. He was exceedingly popular along with, you know, Adam Goucher. Ryan Hall, Adam Goucher, Alan Webb, that entire group kind of grew up with them. I still follow them to this day. You know, Ryan Hall stepped away from running for a number of years. He's getting back into it now so that he can train with his wife, Sarah hall they're such good people the gouchers also really cool kara goucher and adam goucher together (laughs) adam is retired kara is a very outspoken clean sport advocate and she's the one that initially spoke out against nike Mm -hmm. and she was sort of the front runner for that and we all saw how that turned out definitely a lot of great female athletes out there right now that are big inspirations for me. Like, I still like going back and watching, oh, Des Linden. Oh, watching Des Linden's race at the Boston Marathon two years ago. I was about to ask. That was two years ago or three years ago? Okay. That was inspiring because not so much that she won an incredibly grueling race, 
but it was a product of her consistency for several, several years within the marathon. I really loved watching that and seeing all that hard work come to fruition and not just like a regular marathon race, but arguably one of the toughest marathon races of the last like 20 years. I, I didn't catch it live. I, I was kind of sad I didn't watch it live once I saw the highlights because it was something that was there that was going on. And I was like, wow, she is just oh, just a motorboat just kind of <laughs> going through, weaving through there and whatnot. Literally and a like, motorboat. It was raining that bad. I, I know. Yeah. No. And that that's, it was impressive. And I think traditionally female athletes have more to overcome when it comes to endurance sports, especially Jackie's mom, like she, she always talks about how like, maybe I'm just biased, but I like watching female runners go at it more than, than male runners. I kind of understood why. There's just natural things about the female body that hold it back in terms of mechanics and whatnot. It's nothing that can be helped, but when these athletes learn their body so well, and they, they have to focus on that more than males, when these athletes learn their bodies as well as they do, and it's perfect, Arm swing is perfect. There's no sway. There's no the the knee lift. The foot turnover is all just like textbook. I mean, it, it it again work of art. Work of art because they they figured it out. They identified what that what needed to be worked on, targeted it, and took it out. They're just perfect endurance specimens for the sport. It, it's incredible. And it's not as common with the men. I very no. rarely have I seen form that good. Like I liked smooth like butter watching some of these women run. On the men's side, I can only think of maybe two off the top of my no, head gosh. that have really great form and are very pleasing to watch. One of them is Matt, Matt Lilano mm. and the other was Ryan Hall. Yeah, Ryan Hall, definitely. Well, I, and I think the reason for that is because the women, the females, they... They know what they have to target to overcome some mechanics, natural mechanics issues that are going to be roadblocking them a little bit. But then they get so perfect at it that they don't need, they, they, they're better than the men at it. You know, the men yep. just think, well, I don't have those problems, so I'm not going to worry about it when they do need to worry about it. They do. But then the women know that they should be focusing on it, and then they overcome it in such a way that exceeds the men. And then they just look like more efficient runners. They just like pretty. You, you look at Allison Felix uh, as uh, in the four hundred, and you can't tell me there's a better looking athlete out there, <laughs> men or women. It's night and day. You compare her to say Justin Gatlin, who is a one hundred meter runner. Who it is his job to look as pretty and prettier than her running, and he's just his arm swing just is awkward compared to hers. We went overboard on that. We totally went on a tangent there. Sorry, that was, Liv. That was, a, that was a big answer. That's okay. Uh, my next question is, and I'm going to be very specific. Are you? Yeah. Specifically? Specifically. What is a typical, I call it warm-up, I don't know what you guys call it, like preparation for a run and a typical recovery look like for you personally, not for every runner? But for you personally, what does it look like to prepare for a run and recover off of a run? Prepare go. for just a regular run? Yes. Like, I I go in and I do my foam rollers. I do stretches. I do a pre-warm-up before I start class, which starts with a warm-up. And then after class and after rehearsal, I have to do a recovery. For my personal body, what does y'all's look like? It's kind of funny because my general warm-up routine is what I use for practices. Now, for me specifically, I enhance that due to my calf injury. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's best just to start with the general kind of warm-up. I do what I call warm-up. Well, we do... 
about 10 minute warm up run. However far that is, whatever. Just 10 minutes to kind of sweat a little bit. Then I do what we call warm up drills. Give yourself about 12, 15 meters of space there. And back and forth, so I do skipping and back. I do high skips where I kind of like leap, bound a little bit and back. These like real skips? Yeah. Like skipping, skipping. Fa, la, 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 la. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Little red riding hood skips. Then we do uh, going up and down. We kind of get, do other drills that get the, the groin and the hamstrings and the glutes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's active stretching essentially is what we're doing. Then we do static stretching. Go through a whole routine of, of just lots of static, you know, down the middle, straddle, uh, you know, hurdler stretches, again, getting the groin, quads, etc., etc. Once we're done with that, I give us about 10 meters of doing what I call speed drills. High knees, butt kicks, A skip, B skip, straight knee toe bounces, straight knee with alternating cycles, both legs, high knee crossovers. And then we go on to fence swings, Side swings on the fence, then back and forths on the fence, cycles on the By fence. By swings, you mean with your with your leg? With the leg, yeah, yeah. No, with the head. Right. No, with right. his head. So once all of that's out of the way, sometimes we'll do mobility drills too, which includes stuff like, you know, fire hydrants or, you know, scorpions where you lay on your belly and you try to get your foot to touch the back of your head. Not going to happen for a track runner. Maybe a dancer, not a track runner, but I've we attempt. many a dancer who can do that. Okay, uh, I've taught many a track runner who cannot so it <laughs> i am we should switch <laughs> maybe that <laughs> my dancers will move faster there you go yours will be able to touch their head with their feet backwards and then we'll switch off and then we'll have we'll have that yeah yeah uh so once we've done all that we're ready to roll ready to run and once every time we're done running we stretch again we do a cool down you normally two laps to a mile and then we stretch again in terms of recovery that's a whole day right there. <laughs> if it's a hard workout, the next day is the recovery day. That's for me. That's for my, my athletes. The whole day is a recovery day. And that will normally come down to normally a, a long run at a very, very easy pace. And lately, if I do it, I'll be, for me, I've been on the treadmill because I hate the cold. But it'll just be at a very relaxed kind of eight-minute pace run. La-di-da-di-da. That, th- those are the runs I put my ear pods in or something. For my kids, I send them out. Lately, it's been on about an hour easy of just you know running and i don't care about the distance i just want their bodies moving comfortably and they they just go at a pace where they talk to each other essentially so that would be a decent recovery now recovery isn't always the same all the way through sometimes i do a harder recovery on the track and maybe that that's like i don't know 22 200s at a brisk stride pace you know, I'm not necessarily sprinting these things, but I'm opening up my stride. I'm making sure that my muscles don't tighten up too much. That sort of thing. How long does that take? Your the, warm-up? The warm-ups? The warm-ups only take 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. That sounds like a forever warm-up. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I had to know because I was sitting here like, oh my goodness, oh well, my goodness, oh my okay, goodness. Okay, Liv, and... and- a lot of high schools in particular won't spend that much time warming up because there's not enough time okay. in the day. Because, you know, the college program is mine, my club program is mine, I can spend as much time as I want. Okay. And I do that in part because I know what will happen if these warm-ups aren't done. I know yes. what will happen to the body and whatnot, and it's happened to me. Yeah. You know, part of it is definitely because I had a career-ending injury my sophomore year in college, and that sucks. Right. And I'm trying to protect them from the similar things, best way to do that is just to spend a lot of time warming up. And I explain to them every time, listen, the warm-up is part of the workout. Right. Don't look at it as a warm-up. Look at it, this is part of the workload that we're doing for the day. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Because like as a dance teacher, I stress warming up 
Yes. I, and I encourage them to come in before my class starts to do that pre-workout mm-hmm. that I do. And I even teach them, I'll take an entire class and not do what I was you know, supposed to, whether it be ballet or modern, and actually educate them on these are the things you need to do before and after. It's not just an hour and a half class and you're done. It needs to be three hours, the pre, the actual class, and the, the post. Yeah, no. And Dave knows that my, my club practices, they run up to two hours sometimes. Easily. I'll agree with what you and GJ have both said. The warm-up is, is part of the run. And for me, the big goal of the quote-unquote warm-up is to make sure that your muscles are going to be firing efficiently. So your glutes are going to be firing efficiently so that your hamstrings are going to be firing correctly and making sure that the machine is good and primed before you go out and, you know, throw it on a racetrack. So for me, what that looks like is doing activation exercises. So getting a band out, really taking the time to feel the different muscles firing in the way that feels right. So making sure, you know, I'm doing like kickbacks and is my glute firing correctly or do I need to, you know, roll out my piriformis more? It's kind of like a systems check for me. And that's generally how I figure out what, how best I need to warm up. Because for me during the week, I don't have a lot of time in the mornings because I got to go to work. You know, I wake up at around 5, 5.30 and I've got to leave for work a couple hours later. Not a whole lot of time. I got to know exactly what I need to warm up. And this is how I figure out how to do that. GJ's is very comprehensive. And if I had the time to do that every single morning, I would, but I don't. So I go through like a systems check essentially. And that generally takes about five minutes to do to figure out, okay, what do I need to make sure I, I stretch and work out? Because I know I'm only going to have about 10 minutes after that. And then from there, I'll make sure that I stretch those areas, roll out those areas. And that could be with a foam roller. It could be with a lacrosse ball. It could be with, it could just be static stretching. It could be dynamic stretching. It could be doing drills. It depends on what I'm feeling during that quote unquote systems check. I don't know. I really don't know what else to call it. I like what you're calling it. But it just kind of gives me a general idea of what I'm going to have to be working on for that. On the weekends, like before a long run, that takes me about 30 minutes to to do. Because on Saturdays, I've got the time to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I will make sure every, every muscle is warmed up good and proper. Because I know I'm going to be out there for an hour and a half to two hours. And if anything is off kilter, I'm going to feel that eventually. And like I tell my kids, like, if you have the time to go through it, do it. Absolutely. Do it. Because it there's nothing more important than making sure your body is primed for, for this kind of thing. So. Exactly. But at the very least, I do go through basic, all, all the basic activation exercises to make sure at least everything is awake and firing properly before I get into the actual stretching and drills and warming up. Now, post-running, that is another story. Usually during the week, I had to very quickly cool down. I'd spend about 10 minutes stretching after that, and then shower, get ready for work, go to work. Now, when I'm at work, what I do is I have rollers at my desk. And that's where I finish my cool down, essentially. I'll generally start with my piriformis or my 
hamstrings because that's easy to do while I'm just sitting at a desk. And you can attack your IT band from the posterior side while you're sitting down as well. So I'll get those as well. Occasionally, I'll actually bring in my roll recovery, my vice grip device. Then I'll also get my calves. Sometimes over lunch, I'll head to the gym, make sure that I I get my quads and my hip flexors as well. And all the while during the morning, especially, I make sure I'm not sitting down for more than like 20 minutes at a time. So every 20 minutes, I'm getting up, going to get some water or 20 minutes working at a standing area instead. And then after work, I'll kind of do a pre-bed recovery as well, where I, you know, do some myofascial release type stuff on my calves or pro- areas that I know I'm, I'm familiar with and need, know that I need to work on in order to be able to run well the next day. So that could be doing stem on my quad or something. I could be doing stem on my calf. That could be doing, that could be rolling my calf. It all depends. Really, for me, because I don't have as much time in the mornings during the week, I have to spread it out throughout the day. Cool. So I have one more question. What would you tell somebody who is either looking into or just starting out a career in running, whether it be a young person who like wants to be a runner or a older person who is doing it for the health benefits? So not necessarily a actual career, like I want to make money off of this. It's just like, I want to get into running. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I say career as maybe I should utilize the word passion mm, instead okay. of career, because I don't dance because, I mean, it makes me money. Let's be real. It's my career, but it's my passion first. Okay. I do it because I love it. And if it if money wasn't a thing, I don't. I wouldn't do it for the money. Okay. But money is needed. Bills. It's funny because as a coach, I'm supposed to sort of nurture a, the passion, in mm-hmm. a sense, and interest as well. Typically, what I do with uh, the younger athletes that are just getting into it is, you know, there are other sports out there that could easily be more appealing from football to lacrosse, soccer, baseball, et cetera, et cetera, with gear and gloves and all that stuff and, you know, the team camaraderie and everything. So what I try to do is I try to focus in on, instead of just telling them something, I try to react to what they accomplish, okay? Let's say they get out there for the first time and I see them do a certain workout fairly well or a portion of the workout well or something like that and they show some promise in that. I get excited. I get visually excited to them about that. Or, you know, they run a race for the first time. Maybe they're faster there than they were in P class or something like that. I I get excited about that. I tell them, I show them, look what you did. Mm -hmm. Look what you are capable of. Sometimes it clicks. They start thinking, oh, oh, I can do that. I can be, I can be so much more if I put some of that work into it. They get excited about the prospect of what they're, they are able to do with the work put into it. And in a world where not enough, you know, it's so much easier for other people to do the work. Well, I'm going to play outfield because this team doesn't hit very far, so I could just get to do nothing. Right. Or it's so much easier to just look at your phone <laughs> and veg out than it is to put the work in or, 
you know, there's so many more distractions out there as well to, you know, grab their attention. Right. And they're easy distractions. It's easier to sit on your butt and then play on your phone. To see kind of like the light turn on for them to go, oh, hard work equals more of what I just did. I kind of, I try to point that out to them in a roundabout way, get excited about that. And they get excited about that. And once they get excited about that, they want to keep going. Right. So it's not what I say to them. It's more what what I can show them. Yeah. As far as an older runner, you know, I've had people come up to me who have expressed interest in it and stuff like that. By that age, you I shouldn't have to trick you, essentially, <laughs> into yeah. getting excited about it. I, I have to say, well, listen, you're going to want to you know take it seriously, but you also don't want to just go out there and say, I'm going to run 10 miles and try to do that day one. That's not how it works. You know, I try to tell them, listen. Why don't you just go out for like 10, 12 minutes and see how it feels. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be, you want to feel sore the day after the fact. You're just going to feel sore. If you haven't been running, you haven't been doing a whole lot of physical activity, you can't get around that. But the goal is not to stop. You stop and you're always just going to be sore. You know, every time you try to pick it back up, the more you do it, the less sore you become. And you've got to, you just got to dedicate yourself to that. And some of them listen, some of them don't. Maybe I should come up with a better and more inspiring way of encouraging them to do it. But I just want to put it out there that, listen, as we're older, looking into getting into this stuff, we got bills to pay. We got a job to pay attention to. We got the real world on our backs. This is still, this is a time consuming commitment and you just need to be right for that. And some of them get it, some of them don't. The ones who do get it and do get into it, I think their lives have been better for it in terms of scheduling, in terms of, you know, how they feel about themselves and their bodies and whatnot. They come to see that, they come to appreciate that. Others, they kind of expect that quick fix. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out and do this and I'll just walk outside and run, you know, five miles every day. But, you know, Dave and I just talked about the maintenance work that goes into it, the warm-ups, the cool-downs, the, yeah. all that jazz. And that's part of it, too. And if you don't do your research, if you're not dedicated to it, you know, it's not going to come as easy as the little sixth grader that I worked with this past uh, winter who ran a his in, first indoor meet, his first track meet ever indoor in January and threw down like a, you know, a 540 mile, which for a sixth grader is <laughs> pretty, he's got a chip on his shoulder right now. Uh, adults, you know, they don't typically know where to compete just yet. They just think this is something you can walk outside and do, and they don't have that kind of motivation and excitement just yet. So you got to kind of consider what you're doing before you get into it. I take a different approach to this. So I'm not going to bother re-answering, basically repeating the same things. Okay. I'm going to address another group of people that may be out there, and that is returning athletes. You may have run in your youth, you know, you ran track and cross country in high school, maybe you did it in college, maybe you're looking to come back to it as an adult. That can be a very discouraging prospect because I know it was for me. That's something that I'm very passionate about, obviously, yeah. because it's something that I've gone through. It's probably one of the more discouraging things that I've had to do within the sport was having to come back into it knowing what I used to do it's so difficult to not compare what now is to what you were to what you were it's really hard to stay motivated doing that it's been a, a very big paradigm shift for me to find that new normal and to be able to say okay this is better than I was at my rebirth if you will. I can hang my hat on that at the end of the day. You know, no, I don't run the 10K as fast as I did in college, but I can run a 10K faster than I did, you know, five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm getting closer to my collegiate times, which is exciting. So those aren't completely out of my head. 
but I try not to compare what those are. Just in general, something that's common with all three of these groups is the motivation aspect and staying motivated. And for me, the biggest barrier to motivation is that first step. How do you get out the door? Once you get out of the out the door and find that rhythm, you won't regret it. I've never regretted it. Just this week, it was probably like 35 degrees outside. It was raining hard. It was like 5.30 in the morning. I did not want to be out there. I wanted to just say, you know, maybe today's an off day. <laughs> maybe today's an off day. But finding the motivation just to take that first step out the door led to one of the best runs I've had in the past like three weeks. Like that's that's really the hardest part is just getting out. If you can commit to just getting out and continuing getting out, you can progress and you can find a passion. That's good. Yeah, that's a, that's a group I haven't considered. And I, I fall in that group and I also fall into that slump. Now, part of that is because I keep re-injuring myself. But like you said, it's hard to get out there. It's hard to get out the door just to make yourself go. When you don't have a coach, when you don't have a team you're on, when you don't have when you don't have exterior motivations, it's very hard. Yeah. And that makes me sad because, you know, I love the sport and I want to still be involved in it myself as much as I want to, you know, coach it. Having it be both my career and passion is kind of a double-edged sword in that way because it yep. uh, yeah, you're Yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. It, it's to be objective when you're coaching. And to pull the athlete out of yourself is a sobering experience. To get the athlete back in when you need it is very difficult to access. I confess, I have not found that balance of, you know, taking it away and pulling it back. But I'm working on it. I'll say that much. In your opinion, do you think it's ever something that you really get? Or is it just something you, you continue to drive towards? Like, is it a... A journey or a destination? It's definitely a journey. It's definitely something you, I believe we watched a, a TV show with a similar quote, something we work on every day. It's something we work on every day. There may not be an end to it. And maybe that's, you know, that's kind of the point of all sports is to understand that no matter what we score, what numbers we get, how well we achieve something, there's always more in front of us. Yep. There's normally no real end in sight, even when we're off the team. We know this. And that's the thing I try to teach all of my runners is that, listen, even when you're you're done with running, when you're done with being on a team and competing, et cetera, et cetera, you're still driving. You're still pushing. You're still finding yourself in something. And it may not be in the sport, even if you want to return or not, but it's in something. But if you can push yourself here, of all things, as Bill Bowerman once said, as absurd as running, if you can push yourself here, you can do it all. Every single one of my runners, I tell them, take this with you. You've got to take it with you. How you learn to work here is something you can walk away with and you can work with other things using that same ethic. That's how it's worked for me, for sure. Same. And I literally tell my students that like once a week. The qualities you're learning in a craft or in a sport or in an art yes. follow you and that work ethic follows you to every single occupation or goal for the rest of your life. Right. You have to apply it yes. to other things now. You have to apply it to not just your job, but your relationships, mm -hmm. to your passions, to your free time. I mean, to your family. 
it never goes away. It's a discipline. It's a discipline, and it's a grind. And understanding it's a grind can be kind of an exhausting way of putting it, even a scary way of putting it, that you will be grinding to the last breath of your life. Well, I can't think of a more profound way to end this episode of Pizza and Parsecs. GJ, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything that you want to plug while you're here? Can I plug my upcoming podcast? Absolutely. I'm not sure when it's coming up. No. Oh, never mind. Bye. I'm just kidding. We're done. I will be putting up a, a new podcast completely unrelated to running and the majority of the stuff you guys have been talking about called the Mark Light Wave Podcast. M-A-R-K-A-L-I-T-E. And where can people find it? Uh, TheMarkLightWave.com. The Mark Light Wave Podcast will be up hopefully in the next couple of months once I get the website up. I hope you will continue to help me with that. And once I get the content recorded that I want to get recorded, um, it will be primarily a, a kaiju tokusatsu-centered uh, podcast where I will be very belligerent. So Godzilla's and monsters. And Godzilla's like. and monsters and Ultraman and all that jazz. So that's my other, my other passion next to running. Sounds dope. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thanks again so much for being here. Yeah, man. Once again, that wraps up Pizza and Parsecs this week. I'm Dave. I'm Liv. And you can check out our show on bit.ly backslash pizza and parsecs pod or on your podcasting platform of choice. If you like what you hear, then share it with a friend and follow us on our socials at pizza and parsecs. Thanks again, guys. Was that episode one? Episode two. Two. Okay. I've confession. I've I've only listened to episode one so far. But I try to save my podcasts for for road trips. The best is yet to come. I'm sure. <laughs> I've I've heard I've heard You get to hear me try desperately to tell Liv that Phantom Menace is a decent movie. <laughs> I, I saw I heard pieces of that and I kept thinking, oh dear, how's this going to go over? And is the wedding canceled yet? We're still uh, getting married. Okay, okay. <laughs> the Rogue One podcast. The deposit's is... already been put into the venue. <laughs> so there's no turning back. And now. I've already got a dress. It, I would it's... cry <laughs> the whole time. They do too. He ignores them. <laughs> no, would, sorry. He doesn't no. ignore them. He laughs. I'm oh, sorry. It would yeah, be like, all right, start running, bawling, sitting on the floor, like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to take 10 steps knowing it's two hours long. I don't run. <laughs> I don't run. I don't like running. I like watching people run. I don't like to run. Let me rephrase that. My body does not like to run. <laughs> it might be good for me, but it's not good for me. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this podcast. <laughs> Machine is good and primed before you go out and, you know, throw it on a racetrack. Would you say it's at an optimal prime place? And that's it. Thank you for listening to <laughs> Pizza <laughs> and Parsex. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Continue. My sister will enjoy that. I was <laughs> that one was for your sister then. Oh, that made me want to star scream. <laughs> oh. I'll just stop with the jokes. It's fine. This week, I'm Dave. I'm Liv. And you can find. I don't know why I waited so long to say it. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> I'm still here, I swear. You completely threw off my rhythm. I threw myself off. I don't know why I waited so long. Ugh.